Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. We are starting a new chapter uh, by way of introducing this text. We have guilty criminals that we have been shown to be in previous chapters uh, who have had their charges cleared before God, who is the just judge. Gentiles had creation. The Jews had the law. All have failed. All have sinned. And we both stand condemned as idolaters with a death penalty charge, meaning we owe our life. The wages of sin is death. Romans chapter 3, we saw Christ set forth as the propitiation for our sins. Romans chapter number 4, Christ was risen for our justification. We looked at Abraham and David, how they were both justified by faith. Abraham justified by faith before his circumcision. Promised that he should be heir of the world, came by faith. And so it is, faith for us in the gospel. It's the same character of faith that Abraham got God's imputed righteousness from. So with all of that in view, with a way to lead up to chapter number five, we see verse number one, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is not a mental assent to a doctrinal creed. Has everybody heard that? This isn't just head knowledge. This is receiving from God that which was prepared for us in Christ Jesus. We got to get that. Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be Made the righteousness of God in him. He took your place. He paid my debt. They put him in a tomb. Death in the grave couldn't hold him. And he rose again from the grave. Defeating death and the grave. It's a triumphant victory. And that's what we have in Jesus Christ. And that's what nobody, that's what nobody else has. Only true biblical Christianity has that. Verse number two, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace where we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And so we're going to start seeing now the blessings in, in, in chapter number five that result from our justification. And now, isn't it exciting to start getting into the, the, the good news regarding the benefits that we have from being justified by faith. And that, that's a good, it's a good place for us to be. And Paul is rejoicing in the confidence that he has in God. Now look at verse number one again, because I want to draw your attention to a few phrases as we start to understand this text. It says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace. It doesn't say we had peace. And now we somehow have to get it again. It says we have it right now, presently, in the current condition, we have it. 
What does this mean? Because some of you might be thinking, I'm a piece of my head. <laughs> my week was rough. That's not the peace we're talking about. The peace that's being spoken about in Romans chapter 5, verse number 1, is you and I, before we came to Christ, were defiant enemies of God. We were hostile to the gospel. And I just want to bring our minds back to the fact that, we're, look, we're not going to rehash all Romans 1 and 2 and 3 and went through all that. But between us and God, before we got saved, God is not on speaking terms with us. There's a war going on. We are not his friend. We are his enemy. We're not on speaking terms. It's complete hostility. We come to Christ. We're justified by faith. Now, guess what we have in verse number one? Peace with God. The war is over. It's over. And you have peace with God. It doesn't mean I have a rough week. I don't have peace in my mind. That's not what it means. It means the war is over. And now there's peace between you and God. Now, that's a good time to say, Hallelujah! Praise God. Amen. Glory to his name. Let's try it. Amen. Amen. I mean, that's, that's a good place to, to rejoice like Paul's doing now as we get into chapter five. It's a rejoicing chapter. We're going to be getting into a lot of that in the upcoming weeks. And I'm just happy to be here. Happy to be here with you all. Happy to be in this chapter. Christ our substitute for our sins. His sacrifice fully satisfied the wrath of God and praise his name over. Now turn to the book of Colossians. Make a stop there. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Then you come to the book of Colossians. Be in the first chapter. We'll look at the wording of this again. Colossians chapter 1. Pick it up in verse 16. The Bible says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. So Charlie Darwin can take his theory and he can throw it right in the lake or in the trash where it belongs. It's straight out of Hogwash University, evolution. Makes no sense at all. You need to have more faith to believe in that fairy tale. <laughs> so that's that. And all things, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Now, isn't a blessing that you got out of your bed this morning? You got your feet on the ground. You took an inhale. Why? God is sustaining your life. He's the sustainer of things. We take for granted our health. We take for granted the only thing you're guaranteed right now is an exhale. How many of you count your breaths every day? I don't. <laughs> but we're not guaranteed another inhale. Yet God sustains us. He sustains us. He, he is the preeminent one. Look at verse number 18. 
and the and the preacher is the head of the body. Oh, that doesn't say that. And the pope is the head of the body. That doesn't say that either. And the people is the head of the body. Now, the denomination is the head of the body. It doesn't say any of that. He is the head of the body. You don't want to have two heads in a marriage and think of go haywire. <laughs> you don't want you don't want two heads in a church. It's either Christ is the head. We're all sunk. I'm exercising my gift. I'm trying to do the best I can to be able to teach the word and preach the word. And you come to a good Bible-believing church and you expect to hear the word of God. I am not the head. I am not the authority. I have nothing to boast in, just like what was sung about this morning. The only person we have to boast of is Jesus Christ because in him he should have the preeminence, which is what we'll see. He's the head of the body. Church. Church. You know what the church is? Christ's body. People say, well, the church is the people. Well, I understand what people say mean when they say that, but the church is Christ's body. Of which people are a part of would be a more scriptural way to say that. Um, the firstborn from the dead, and here, here it is, that in all things he might have the preeminence. I know you're in a church house this morning, but you're not, you don't leave the church when you walk out of those doors. Have you trusted Christ? You are part of his body, who he is the head, that is the church. Well, I'm just going to go to church this morning. I know what people mean. You know. No Christian believes that a building's the church. So I know what people mean when they say, hey, I'm going to church. But when you walk out those doors, you're leaving the church house. You're not leaving the body of Christ. The last thing a preacher ever wants to do is church discipline. We don't get to the ministry to say, oh, I just can't wait to have my first church discipline experience. No preacher wants to do that. But it's part of the ministry if it has to be administered. And if somebody has to be excluded from fellowship because of something in the Bible that would exclude them from fellowship, and they walk out of those doors, they don't leave the church. They left the church building, and they have loss of privileges to fellowship with the body of Christ, but they don't leave the church. They're still part of the body of Christ. They just lost some privileges, and the idea is to get the thing right and restore them back to fellowship. Children, when you talk back and you do something wrong, and your dad has to church you, <laughs> in a sense, he has to discipline you, dad doesn't stop being your dad. There's just something between you that has to be restored. And so until then, there's some chastisement. There's some, the idea is to restore 
back. You lose privileges, but Christ is the head, and he should have preeminence in all things. Now, I went down that rabbit trail to say, ultimately, this point. Should he have preeminence over the preaching of the word? Yeah. That's not where it stops. Because I have to walk out of these doors. And I have to give Christ the preeminence in my marriage, in my parenting, in my job, in my relationship with lost people. With my neighbor, with the way I handle my finances. With the way I pray for our church family. We should have the preeminence in all things. So when you walk out of the, these two doors, I'm going to ask you this. this. Is Christ the head? Does he have preeminence in all aspects of your life? So Monday morning, what's the first podcast you turn on? Does Christ have the preeminence in that? On Tuesday night, when you're scrolling the road, on Facebook or YouTube or Instasin or whatever one you're on, whatever it is that you're looking at or listening to, the creator that's your favorite, does Christ have the preeminence? If he doesn't, I'm asking myself the same question. We should come back to Colossians 1. Because this thing's about Christ having the preeminence in all things. I'm not saying all you have to do is go to church and, and read your Bible. That's the only thing to do. What I'm saying is everything that you do do must be filtered through this verse. Does Christ have the preeminence? And verse number 20. And having made peace, that's what I'd like to get to, through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Now, you see what it says again? It doesn't say in verse 20, he's making peace. It doesn't say he's, well, remaking it. No, it says he made peace. It's not what he's continually doing. It's what he's already done. That's the idea in Romans 5 and verse 1. That's the idea here. The war between you and God is over. He made peace and you have peace. And it looks back to Calvary's cross and the blood that he shed for us. So we establish the fact that we have peace through God, our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not two countries fighting and they're both wrong. It's not two families fighting. You know, one neighbor's upset at another neighbor. In the end, they're both wrong. It's not two spouses fighting. Because you talk to both of them, you're going to find the wife was wrong in this area, the husband was wrong in this area. And it's not mom and dad fighting with their kids. You're going to find out you talk to both parties. They all did something wrong. That's not the case. It's us, guilty criminals, and we have violated the king's orders. Who is completely righteous. He's done nothing wrong. The war's over. The war's over. 
It's something. Just think about all that. God's wrath fully satisfied on the cross. The Lord Jesus Christ turned the wrath of God unto himself and took it upon himself. The other thing God did is in Ephesians 2, we'll look at that. He affected peace. Let's grab Ephesians chapter number 2. And in Ephesians chapter number 2, we'll get verse number, uh, number 12. The Bible says in Ephesians 2 verse 12, that at that time, ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of province, having no hope, and without God in the world. Why do I keep pressing everyone to get involved in public evangelism? For selfish and unselfish reasons, to be transparent. One, if I do it all, I'm going to end up blowing my heart out by the time I'm 58. <laughs> okay? I can't do it all. Well, it's the preacher's job. Where is that in the Bible? It's your job. Are you a Christian? Yes, that's your job. I can't do it all. That's not the church. That's one man trying to save everybody, and it ain't going to happen. Church, Christ bind. We should work together. The other reason is because why I, why I so push everybody to try to get involved in some type of public evangelism is verse number 12. They've got no hope, and they're without God in the world. People turn on the news and they find out that this or that's going on. It doesn't surprise. I mean, some of it does surprise me. Oh, really? I can't believe that. But on one end, I'm like, well, no kidding. That's why I don't turn on the news. Someone told me a couple of weeks ago, you know, brother, Jim, you really should start watching the news more than this. I said, I don't watch the news. I just get all the news from people. I mean, sometimes things come up in my role and I'll look at it. Oh, okay. And then I turn it off because I don't want to get depressed. I got to go tell somebody about Jesus because I know, I know whatever it is you're going to show me, whatever the news is going to try to tell me, I know that the, they're without hope. They are without God. And I've already settled in my mind there is only one thing to do. Give them the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because until they get regenerated and come to a saving knowledge of faith, they're sunk. Nothing's going to change. I don't pray for better policies from our worldly political leaders. I pray that they would get saved. That's ultimately what I pray. And we need to get the gospel out because of verse 12. They have no hope. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were for all are made nigh by the blood of Christ. And here's the verse, for he is our people who hath made both, both one and hath broken down 
the middle wall of partition between us, and I'll come to God now, having abolished in his flesh the end. Even the law of commandments contain ordinances for to make himself plain one new man. Here it is, so making peace. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were far off, and to them that were not. He didn't make peace through a mass every Sunday. He didn't make peace through going and confessing your sin. He didn't make peace by your perfect Protestant church attendance. He didn't make peace that way. It was through the blood of Jesus Christ on. See that word enmity that comes up? The war's over. You're not at enmity with God anymore. Praise his name. And this is an exciting chapter. People say, well, you need to make peace with God. No, God made peace for you. God made peace for us. And this idea that we're going to kind of somehow work out our peace with God, you know, before you die, just make peace with God. Like you're going to do something to do that. You're not going to count up enough good works. It's going to merit you anything. You get a man, he's so stressed out. He's on the verge of a mental breakout. He goes to his doctor. And he starts telling the doctor all of his symptoms, everything that's going on. And his mind is just so. And the doctor looks at him and says, you are so stressed out. I can't help. You. You're such a mental marshmallow of a mess. There's no, I don't, I don't got nothing to give you. You're only, the only way you're going to get peace. It's only going to come from God. And the man looks at the doctor and he says, what? God wanting fellowship with me? That's a good place for a man to be that's so stressed out and taking his thoughts straight. Because he's, at least he's recognizing there's a problem between God and me. <laughs> now we can start making some progress. And once you come to faith, saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the war's over. The war's over. God has made the fellowship and did it on the cross. You've been redeemed from guilt, and your acceptance by God is now, biblically, it's eternally secure. You cannot lose it. He purchased you, He will keep you. And it's not your peace that's going to be good enough. He made the peace. Now, you might do some things where fellowship would be broken between you and God. But you are accepted in the beloved. You are sealed until the day of redemption. And you have security in Christ eternally. You cannot lose it if you tried to lose it. The only thing you can lose is fellowship with Christian friends, fellowship with God, and you're going to you're going to lose the blessings that come 
that you can have right now on earth. You don't have to wait to get to heaven. You can get a taste of it down here on earth by living for him. And you get those blessings. Why lose out on fellowship and Christian growth? Because you want to go out sinning and say, well, saved by grace. And God answers that. Well, God forbid, why would you want to do that? But God keeps you. Remember back in Romans 3, we read the way of peace. They have not known. Remember we looked at that? Well, now we know it. Well, now we know it. We're free from the hostility and the state of enmity that existed between us and God. Now, justification gives peace even when there's no settled peace of mind or peace in your heart. Those are two different things. Abraham, for example, he was justified by faith, right? We looked at that. There was no evidence. He just believed the promise. And that was in chapter 15 and chapter 16. We all see how he messed it up and Ishmael came about. And we talked about, look, right living isn't right believing. They're two different things. So the peace that we have looks at our standing before God. And get Philippians 4, because let's go off this thought that it's not a reference to peace of mind, but it's peace from war. Between you and God, hostility is open. But look forward. Verse number four. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. That's a good place to be. Let your moderation be known in all men. The Lord is at hand. Here it is. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. The cares of this world probably stress people out more than anything. They got too many cars. They got too many boats. They got too many houses. They got too many trinkets. And they have just been overridden with the cares of this world. Now, let me ask you this question. If they're saved... Do they have peace with God? Romans 5, yes. Do they have verse number 7, like what it says, Philippians 4, and the peace of God, which passeth understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So in Romans 5, we establish the fact that they have peace with God. Hostilities over, right? They're saved. If you're so wrapped up in the cares of this world, you still have peace with God. No hostility there. But you know what you don't have? The peace of God. And there are two different pieces, huh, pieces, no pun intended, that you've got to put together to understand the two different types of peace. <laughs> Does that make sense? You have in Romans chapter 5, verse number 1, Peace, the treat, the peace treaty between the war, over, done. Now you've got in Philippians chapter number four, 
you have the peace of God, which Christians, even though they have no more hostility between them and God, that's been settled. They still have a mind that is warped with all the cares of this life, and they have the peace of God. And, and you know what we need? It'd be nice, ideal, to have both. Everybody getting this? We getting this? Okay. Peace with God, what he did on the cross. He shed his blood. The peace of God frees us of the anxiety, frees us of the cares of this life, frees us from depression, frees us from all of this worry. I'm a preacher of the word of God. I'm not a doctor. So I'm not allowed to, nor should I take any liberty to ask anybody to throw out their psychedelic medication that they've been taking. But you can certainly go to your doctor and say, yeah, the preacher told me I need the peace of God. <laughs> See how he responds. You know why people are on these drugs today? They got so many cares, so much anxiety, so much work, and the drug's going to numb them. It's going to numb the body, it's going to numb the mind, and they're not going to have to feel. Have you hit some bumps in the road in your life where it's just, I just don't feel like dealing with this anymore? The answer isn't to take a drug. The answer is to get into Philippians 4 and get the peace of God. It really is. It really is. We are all scrambled eggs. And we all need, at times, the peace of God to replace our anxiety. All right, Romans 5, let's get back there. Verse number 2. It says, by whom also we have access by faith in grace where Stand rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So we have access to God's divine favor. We gained this when we were justified. And this is where the peace exists. It was administered to you the moment you believe. You are permanently acquitted by God. And we have access, meaning there's a way in. Before you were shut out, you couldn't get in. Now Christ has opened the door. He says, I am the door. And in Romans 5, you have very, two very powerful and permanent truths in Romans 5, 1 and 5, 2. Look at verse 1. We have. See that? Now look at verse number 2. We stand because peace also looks at our current standing before God in grace. That's where we stand. More brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. It's very familiar, First Corinthians 15. Ephesians 1. We have and we stand. Standing that you have, the standing that I have, is the very standing of Lord Jesus Christ himself. Don't stand as a criminal anymore with your mouth stopped, condemned, with not enough good works to pay your debt. You believe the gospel. Now you stand in God's favor. Ephesians 1, look at verse number 6. The Bible says to the praise 
of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. We don't bring a proposal to God. He makes us accepted in the beloved. Have you ever spent nights or mornings or just prayer time just thinking how horrible you were before you came to Christ? Because I have. And I got to get my mind off those thoughts and know for sure God made peace. I have a standing he made me accepted in the beloved, and he did that for you if you know him. It's a glorious standing that we have. That's why it's, and it's all of grace. All of it, it's all grace. It's grace all throughout this whole thing. And that's why it says in 2 Timothy 2, Thou therefore, my son, be strong. Where? In the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's how we can stand strong. Because it's into this grace. In other words, we're ushered into royal. We are no longer under wrath. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son hath not life. Why? Because the wrath of God abides on him. It's gone. We're no longer under condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. So we're ushered into royalty, into this grace. And it's a safe haven. We're in a ship. We're tossed to and fro. And all we're doing is struggling against the sea as we try to get that ship under control. And it's just a battle. We just can't wait to get into the harbor, the safe haven of breath. We're not battling God anymore. He's made for us a safe haven. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. He shall go in and out and find passion. As we start to close out this message, it says, and rejoice in hopes of the glory of God. We've got a new theme of the believer's life that's being opened up in Romans 5. It's kind of like the infomercial or the, adver the advertisement that says, but wait, there's more. <laughs> and this is kind of what we're getting into now in Romans chapter 5. Oh, I'm saved. That's great. I'm justified by faith. But wait, there's more. Here's some benefits that you're going to have. Rejoice. Peace looks at the hope of the glory of God. And we're going to have a glorified body. That's that's a part of it. But let's go to one last verse of scripture. We'll close the message out in 1 Peter. Why don't we do that? First Peter, chapter number one. Oh, this is good. First Peter, chapter number one, look at verse number three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who which, according to his abundant mercy, hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible. Praise God for that. And undefiled, and it fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. 
Anybody want to argue about eternal security? I am sorry. If you think you can lose it, God don't think you can. <laughs> well, there's a lot of people that are saved think they can lose their salvation. They don't think they can lose it. They just think you can lose it if you don't live up to the standard that they're living. <laughs> and that's what religion does. It enslaves you to a set of beliefs or do this or do that. And if you don't do this or don't do that, well, then somehow you're not living for God. You lost it. Hang around with me for a week. You'll see that I'll lose my salvation tomorrow if I could lose it because of my sin. You'll see I'll lose it Tuesday because I'll get impatient with some idiot on the road. Or Look, if anybody's going to lose it, it's going to be all of us. There's no way we could keep it. Pull up to the most expensive restaurant in town after we're done the service. The most expensive one and say, I'm here for my reservation. And if you didn't call in and schedule out the way it's supposed to be, you're a nobody there. They're going to tell you, go down to the Golden Corral because we don't have a spot for you, buddy. That is not so with your salvation. God has, there's a reservation waiting for you and God's got it prepared. So you do not have to worry. Verse five. Well, I just need to keep it. Verse five. Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So for anybody here this morning that has any type of doubt whether they need to keep it or not, just read the Bible. You are not kept by you. God keeps you and praise his holy name for you. Verse 6, where you greatly rejoice? Go now for a season, if need be. You are in heaviness through manifold temptations. We're going to get into some of that next week. Verse 7 is the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes. So it be tried with fire. Might be found in praise and honor, glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So you got a reservation in heaven, God's going to keep you, but that doesn't mean your life down here is going to be without trial. We'll get into that next Sunday. Verse 8. And having not seen beloved, in whom, though now ye see him not, this is the verse, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. I've got something higher down here. I've got something heavenly, praise God. It's not just earthly. It's glory. You know what I got to do down here? Everything that I have, that I have, I had to work extremely hard for. Extremely hard. My daddy got us up by the age of at nine, ten years old in the summer. We were working on the farm, and I haven't stopped working since. He instilled in us a good work ethic. And if we were going to buy a bicycle, we had to buy our bicycle. You wanted a pair of Nike shoes with a check mark that was more than what dad said he was going to spend. We had to front the money. And if we didn't front the money, dad bought us the cheap shoes. And that's just the way it was in our house. And my dad worked real hard. He worked two jobs. Raised six kids. Put us through school that he had to pay for. And everything that he had 
he worked his butt off for. And you know what I'm doing? My dad taught me to do. If you want something in this life, you get off your butt and you go out and you work for it. And you earn it. Hard. I've got some trinkets. I've got some toys. I've got some worldly possessions, just like you've got. And I ain't taking that with me when I die. And neither are you. And you know what the glory is? Down here, we have to work so hard for the things that we're going to own and possess. And we have right to property. No one's coming and taking our stuff. We'll go buy an extra gun. We'll go buy more ammunition. It's my stuff. I we're not taking none of it. And we work so hard for it. You know what the glory is? We have a heavenly glory. We have something reserved for us in heaven that we don't have to work for. We don't have to spend our life laboring to say, hey, I got this. It is a complete and utter flipping the thing on its head. Everything earthly we work for. Everything heavenly. God did the work for us. Praise his holy name. Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.